Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast. This podcast is about celebrating the leaders, teachers, and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect, heal, and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world. I am Simone Niles, a coach, sound healer, vocalist, and author. Thank you for being here with me today. Hello, 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 and welcome back. This is Family Affair Part 3, and I have with me the beautiful Rafan Kebe, my dear husband, Dr. Saida Destile, my bestie, and Calvin Niles, my brother. Awesome brother. So I'm so excited to bring you guys together again because you know I love conversing with you, and anyone who's watched any of these videos will know that these are the kind of conversations that we have on a regular so it's nice to be able to just come together after a few months and talk and just have a lovely convo. And a topic that's been percolating certainly for me, and I know that you and I, Saeed, have asked each other questions about this, and, and then Raf, you and I have spoken about it, Calvin and you and I talk about all these books all the time. I thought it would be really good to come together and share our thoughts on the four agreements. Nice. So, for anyone who doesn't know about the Four Agreements, it's a book um, that you can you can you know it's very easy to find it on Amazon. But it's really about understanding um, principles and philosophies that we can use to enhance our life and just increase the quality of the way we live on a day to day. And I'll go into more about that, and I'll put the links for the book and everything below because it's a wonderful book in my opinion. But I thought we could start with the Four Agreements, and so the first one is. Be impeccable with your word. Be impeccable with your word. And so I would love to know your thoughts on what that actually means for you, being impeccable with your word, and then we can move on from there. So whoever wants to jump in first, you know how I like to work. My, my contrary mind is jumping. I'm so sorry. Just for con context, can you give us the other three? Yes, sure. So actually, I'm going to I'm going to share four of them. But there was one that recently popped up mm -hmm. agreement, which I will drop later. So I'll tell you the others. So number one is be impeccable with your word. Number two, don't take anything personally. Mm -hmm. Number three, don't make assumptions. And number four, always do your best. So that's be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions and always do your best. And I'll drop that fifth one in a bit later. So let's come back to be impeccable with your word. What does that kind of bring up for you? Well, I'll pop in, uh, Simone, because you know this one's a big one for me as we've talked about this privately. And uh, I'll just share kind of an emotional thing for me is that I still give words a lot of credence. So if you give me your word on something, it's it's bonding to me. I, I want to believe you. I it, it has solidity and it matters to me. So words have impact and they matter. That's why I feel being impeccable, saying what you actually meaning and meaning what you're saying is, is really important, especially in intimate relationships where what you say, I'm going to trust that what you say is your truth and I'm going to allow that to resonate through time. That said, um, I've had a lot of experiences where people speak 
and myself included, where we kind of adapt it a little bit or we don't totally reveal like what's really there. So there's a lack of impeccability and that has significant impacts. So as you know, I find this the hardest of the four because there's so much depth to it. And withholding a piece of information to me is has lack of impeccability as much as uh, outright lying or, or not being impeccable with your word. So I think words are sacred. And so I make this a daily practice to really sit with before I splurt something out. It's a lesson my mom gave me, roll your tongue at least nine times, <laughs> like really think before you speak, because I tend to like, rah! And so taking that breath and going, okay, is what I'm about to say relevant? Will it create more connection? Uh, is it actually, am I meaning what I'm saying? Or is it best just to sit a while with this? So it's a great, great daily practice for me. And uh, with my close friends, I really value your word and I trust it deeply. I uh, don't so much with politicians <laughs> and people that are quite further out I feel like words are cheap and I've often said that in the dating world words are very cheap so I tend to watch actions but if more of us were impeccable with our words I think like in the old days you gave your word um, it would really change how we relate with each other so that's what I want to say with at least introduce that idea yeah, I love that. And I'm, I love the way you described what I would call your filter, those questions that you ask yourself or the time that you take before you speak. Because one of the things I would have asked is, well, how do you practice or cultivate that impeccability for yourself? Because, you know, sometimes things are blurted out and then we think about them too late and then go, oh, actually, that's not quite what I meant. And there's nothing wrong with coming back and editing or, or you know, readdressing something. We're not always going to get it right. But I love the questions and the, and the tongue rolling, just giving yourself a pause to go, is this what I really mean to say, as opposed to just throwing the words out. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Great. Cool. If I, if I can jump in. Um, for me, the idea of self-preservation actually comes in in that the value or the strength, the energy, as Saida was just saying, of words can be so powerful that we have got to somehow, I would say, appreciate that um, that if you speak heal of someone else, you actually speak heal of, heal of yourself. And whether it's in relation to lies, which are very, can, be, can become very difficult to maintain, depending on how many lies you're, you're juggling with, mm. for a start, so eventually you're putting yourself, you know, kind of on the back foot on, on a constant basis, or whether it's um, the appreciation, as I said, of the positive energy that comes with positive wording of your life and positive um, self-talk and talk to others, but also, you know, the, the judgment that your words um, carry towards others will eventually kind of come back to you um, so that appreciating that if you were to judge someone verbally that is either calling someone stupid, beautiful, or anything else, those words are going to carry some type of strength. And that strength can very much be helpful to them and to you, but it can also very much come back and, and make you feel a certain way because if you've allowed yourself to verbally express certain things that are not impeccable, then 
you're setting yourself up for those things to come back to you basically and you're setting mm. everything up for everyone to do exactly the same to you so for me being impeccable with my word um very much self-preservation um there is a there's a rule um that I've that I got from Tim Ferriss um a couple of years ago and I'm sure he got it from someone else but he said especially when speaking on a podcast like this it says um what's the term again um I will I will praise by name but I will criticize by category praise by name but criticize by category so the good things and the positive things say the name side is smart because so and so and so but by the time I start to criticize something I dislike when people do that and I will not give a name I will not give if that makes sense so here is one tool one rule one regulation I use in order to somehow stay as impeccable as I possibly can with my words understanding that I can generalize things that I don't like but I can very much praise directly the people that I like. Mm. Mm. That's a really good distinction. I love that. I didn't know of that. And I think um, even just thinking about that, we, we talk a lot about not generalizing. We say don't generalize when you say certain things because then, you know, you're, you're putting everyone into the, same, into the same group. This is often what people say. But I think in this context, I, lo- I very much like that, the generalizing or, as you say, the category, uh, that's where the criticism can, can live or, or at least certainly um, move around a bit. And then that person, one person, one name being that of praise, it really does change the intention. And I really like that. I want to come to intention in a minute, in fact, to all of you, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that initially, Calvin. Mm, yeah, thanks, Sim. Um when you asked the question, actually, I thought about um, Cyrus last week, my son, and he was saying to me, oh, dad, you know, something about basketball and some kids not showing up to training. And, you know, one of the things I've been cultivating with him in his training is to really focus on his attitude, focus on his attitude, but to see that the attitude is so closely related to your actions. Um, so, for me, there's this kind of link with impeccability of word and also impeccability of actions, uh, thoughts, and, um, and, the, and the, word thems- uh, the word itself. So I think those three are actually tied somehow. And it's a promise to yourself. You know, being impeccable with your word is a promise to yourself. And it, it prevents that kind of internal dissonance. You know, if I say I'm going to do something or if I, if I make a, a sort of assertion about, you know, completing something, come being there for someone else or whatever that might be. And actually, I don't. That creates some sort of dissonance in me anyway. Right. So I think first and foremost, it is creating a harmony inside of myself to create those conditions for for harmony between thoughts, words, and actions. And then, it, of course, it leads to that famous quote. I don't know who, who's really the person who said it, but I think it was attributed to, to Gandhi in the past, where it was uh, sort of like along the lines of being mindful of your thoughts because your, your uh, thoughts become your words, being mindful of your words because they become your actions, actions become habits, then habits become character and your character becomes your destiny. So what I'm saying is I, I don't know if we can pull all these things apart between action, thoughts and words, um, but I do certainly see them as very important to creating that harmony in, in myself um, when I speak and what that means. 
So that's 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 kind of my sort of angle on that one. Yeah, I love that. I think there there is a, a parallel a bit with the self preservation that Raf spoke about because you're talking about what how it affects you first and foremost and then other and I think you know you know I love we've done a podcast on the inside out approach you know I love that inside what's going on here and then what's reflected out there um so I spoke about intention very briefly and the, the reason I want to talk about that is because I too um uh it is my belief that words have power and that we need to really think about the words that leave our mouths um at the same time <laughs> we know how important intention is because we learn about this a lot if i don't know if someone is in distress let's say you're trying to help a child not be distressed they're fretting whatever's going on and your energy is being heightened by their their distress and you're starting to get distressed and you start to say relax relax so you're actually saying relax which we know the word itself what that means in that context for sure but the energy and the intention is not supported with the energy or the frequency which is where i like to live um with the word itself so what are your what is the your take on i guess that little nugget that i'm trying to to pull out is do you feel that the energy and intention behind the words you speak are as important as the words themselves in terms of being impeccable. Uh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um the other place to be impeccable which is where we're headed to I think is our self talk how the voice that's constantly going in our own head. Um and we can tell if you say I love you but you don't mean it or you know you and I playfully call each other all kinds of names but it's delivered with love so it doesn't offend there i think intention is stronger than the actual word itself i think people pick up uh where that is coming from more so than what you said however people also re- these days seem to pick apart a lot of words and so now there's like um what are they called word police going around and you're not allowed to call women women anymore and like there's all these things that are happening you know uh, in the world around words so i think if we have a clear intention and i i remember speaking at a conference in that conference every speaker was being torn down every speaker by social justice because of words and yet it didn't happen when i spoke and i was trying to figure out what why and that's because my intention was to serve everyone in that room and to inspire them and to maybe bring something fresh that was it i wasn't there to impress i wasn't there to you know be political and so my talk was the only talk that was peaceful for the entire conference so i do think and i was talking about edgy things so i do think that how we frame within our own energetic system is huge so how are we relating again i think impeccability as raf was pointing out and also um Calvin it's almost like right relationship with yourself and if you're in that right relationship you you feel it in your heart your body and then you speak it's very powerful we can change the world with that kind of spoken word mm, yeah 100% I I love that and I agree I agree what are your takes fellas you know well the intention aspect that you're speaking of really for me is called congruence and the more impeccable you are with your world 
um, and you have to one has got to define impair capability uh, for themselves. But I believe that the more congruent you can actually be, which is in relation to what you were just saying, yes. you know, be soft and saying something, but in the way you're saying it now is not congruent with the actual meaning of the word. To take this a little further, we all act and speak in ways that are simply not very congruent with what our first intentions are. And I do think that trying to be as impeccable as we can with our words can help us be more congruent. Another reason why, as opposed to lie, don't say nothing. You know, the value of silence comes into play. Mm. Silence can help us be very, very congruent at time, where you haven't spoken your piece just yet, so you don't, you can't yet go against yourself. That's mm -hmm. not an excuse not to say something when it, something needs to be said. Of course. But it allows us um, the space to somehow speak when it makes sense for us to speak, speak from a place that we actually mean what we say, even if we are not fully you know, certain of what we are saying. But trying to be congruent, um, aligning what we're saying with how we're saying it. Mm -hmm. Having said that, we're talking about principles. And I love that. But as I said, my contrary mind jumps straight into principles are great, but principles also tend to miss subtleties. Because from time to time, saying something in a very different way than what the word is, is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes shouting, relax, is the right thing to do. So we've got to contextualize those things and make sure that we appreciate that the rules, because those agreements, are, I love Miguel Ruiz, Ruiz um, the author, not calling them rules or legislations or laws and agreements. It's something that you have to do with and for and by yourself. Mm. It's, it's in relation, I believe, yeah. to that, to say, okay, there are, there are subtleties in those four rules, and I know you're going to add us a fifth, are still very basic, as challenging as they are, they are still very basic, and, and, and we've got to talk about the subtleties of, at times, being lacking in congruence, but we've got to talk about intent, I believe, and, and being congruent towards being capable, impeccable. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Yes, I do. I do really value the fact that he used the word agreements as well. I do feel the same about that because it's a great choice um, because then that is something that you need to agree to for yourself. And then that can be reflected. I see you nodding a lot, Calvin, as Raph is talking. Would you want to add anything to that about the intention? And let's hear you. I love the fact that Raph pulled out um, the, the point about the agreements because mm -hmm. it really reinforces the internal dimension. But also it also it almost indicates that there are these various parts of us inside that have to agree on this. So it's you know, agreeing with yourself implies multiple parties, right? So I I find that quite fascinating anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but in terms of intentionality, um, I think it's an interesting one. I think it harks back to a conversation we had, perhaps it was in the previous podcast or the first one, I can't remember actually exactly but for me when it comes to expressing myself um one of the rules i try to work within and and, and i say try to because sometimes i'm unsuccessful but guiding guiding principles is is what i'm going to say constructive and is it timely 
those two things are, are the sort of ultimate self-test. So the reason why timeliness matters is because if somebody is angry or in a rage um, at any given moment, right? Let's say I'm in a traffic jam and I'm at the car, car um, traffic lights and I am beeping my horn at another car and I'm pretty annoyed by something. Something's really bothering me. And then I start hurling abuse at the other person because basically they're really, really pissing me off. In that moment, you could potentially argue that my intention is to be hurtful towards that person. So, so then my question then becomes right to myself, is this really timely and is it constructive? And, and I think so underlying the variance of the emotion, there's kind of a stable intention that is probably a superior intention, which outlies all of the oxymoronic stuff like shouting for silence, fighting for peace, you know, screaming, relax. And um, if that is harmonious um, and that agreement holds internally, then I think it's much easier to abide by the principle of expressing yourself timely and constructively. And, and I think it works. So when Raf said it, I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm liking this concept of the agreement within, um, but also the context, uh, you know, it was rightly pointed out. So that's my take on the intentionality. I think it can vary um, and it depends on, you know, what is that sort of core central pillar um, that we would say is, you know, ultimate intention as opposed to the variability of mood at that given time, right? If you're standing up in a court of law and somebody, you know, did something in a jealous rage and then the court would then say, well, hang on, but it was in, your intent was to harm. Well, actually, maybe that person's intent was only to harm because they were in that state of mind at that point. So there's got to be an ultimate intentionality, mm. I think, that drives the expression mm. and then and then you can go move from there and the context allows for yeah. play and and learning mm. so very there's some stuff that you said there is very similar to Saida in that you know is it constructive and is it timely for her it was is it relevant and do I need to express this now so I can draw those yeah. parallels in what is important for practicing it which I really like because I, I love to talk theory and I like to be philosophical but I also really like to know well how mm -hmm. and I think everyone so far is really giving some concrete examples on things that people can do or we're just just give a go you know in terms of this particular one being impeccable with your word now I can stay actually on this for the whole conversation because it's so juicy and I know that we're just scratching the surface so before I move on to the second is there anything else that's popping up around being impeccable with your word that you might want to add that I didn't ask otherwise we're going to move on y yes I do actually which yes. is what being in impeccable with your word mean does not mean to me and yep. I say that because I've had this conversation some time ago um, in relation to being impeccable with one's uh, way of speaking. Mm. I do not believe this means your language has got to be clean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Such as swearing, so-and-so. Um, it's a big one because very often someone will take it. I believe I've been taught that. I've been told that. The idea of being impeccable with my world means that somehow my speech has got to be not only level in terms of of, of tone and 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 intention behind my words, but I've got to make sure that I do not speak not only ill of people, but I don't speak badly. I don't use any any words that could somehow fucking upset people. <laughs> you know, and and that is something that I'm so opposed um, because. 
there's a need, just like in life, I believe, for, for dirt and viruses to be there in order for, some, for our systems to get stronger and stronger. And um, resiliency is only built against some type of confrontation. And words can give us that, oh, I am a bit shocked right now. I've got to wake up. Oh, I've got to grow the fuck up. Those things do happen. And also, as I was saying, context. Context is everything because I am thinking about those beautifully educated uh, English ladies that you meet from time to time. Perfect, you know, speech and that voice and vocabulary straight from Oxford. But when they start swearing, it just walks. (laughs) You know, it's true. Context, right? Look. Between us, Simon doesn't swear much. No. But there's a place where she swears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and it works. Yeah. It works for me because I'm there. You get what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. the idea of let me just always and only be that, be clean with my words, is not what being impeccable means. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's what it is. Um, the other thing, if I may say, it's in relation to NLP, actually, where... It's something I got from from Simon many years ago, and then I applied it to my teaching, and it's been a massive it's been a massive turnaround really in my in my in my pedagogy and the way I speak to my students, which is that most of us, if not all of us, human beings don't don't actually hear negations. So, again, in relation to intent and being congruent, you know, you don't say to a dog, "Don't jump," you say sit because we somehow know and understand that the dog is only going to hear jump and the don't will be ignored you know what i mean so it's about tell me what to do as opposed to tell me what not to do so from a practical point of view i think that being impeccable with our word and being congruent with our word very often has got those little regulations attached to it those little you know poetic justice you could call it where it's like okay you're saying that um but the person in front of you is not going to hear it because we have a negative bias as human beings and we tend to go this way so if you don't want me to go left don't say don't go left tell me go freaking right and then i'll hear you better and that will be so much more impeccable for me to to receive you know what i mean that's what I wanted to add. <laughs> yes, we could go on. I could go on a lot about this. Yeah, one. yeah. I actually, actually, you made me want to add something as well. Funnily mm. enough, hey, please. Literally, go. I won't. I won't. I won't keep us keep us oh, stuck please. here. But I mean, the the one thing I want to add too was um, going back to that agreements thing. Um, was that language is an approximation for meaning, right? So, so you know. It's it's a signpost. Imagine you're uh, going somewhere for, looking for directions, and somebody sends you, this, um, you know, on on the way to the pink house that you're looking for. Their directions to the pink house aren't going to be spoken identically to another person, but there is an agreement, unspoken, between the parties that actually we are uh, uh, driving, and you know the person can see I'm in a car. And of course, because I'm in a car, when I get to the end of the road, I can only turn left and right. So then these these constraints are already there and they're assumed. So then there's this assumed agreement 
that the pointing to the direction of the pink house that I'm doing is what I actually am trying to find or is going to get me to what I'm trying to find. So I think with the language and with words and so on, they really are directions to what I'm feeling or what I'm trying to get across. So it's an indication, it's an approximation. And the closer that approximation is to the direction, to where we're actually trying to go, then the more congruent, I think, the person will feel certainly for me the, the more clearly my directions are to what i'm actually saying the the tighter i hold towards those directions mm. then i think um and of course the context is agreed between me and the, the listener as well then i think then the fruits are better um for both parties in in that exchange so that can improve i think the impeccability if there is um, a tighter adherence to, you know, the pointing and the direction itself, if that makes sense, what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Do you want to add anything as well, Saida, to this? To what Raf had brought on? No, we're all, we're all good. So as I move on to the next one, I know that it, it has been, for as long as I can remember, a, a big value of mine actually to speak truth. I, I really don't like lies. I rather hear the hard truth in most situations. I just want you to tell me like it is. And I remember um, I must have been a teenager and my sister and I were doing something and someone said, oh, your sister said to my sister that I lied about something. And I felt it felt like someone stabbed me in my heart. How dare they say I lied about something when I was being truthful? And so I bring this up because it leads me on to the second agreement. Don't take anything personally. So I'm trying to be impeccable with my word, but I'm taking it personally when someone says I'm not. So let's talk about <laughs> don't take personally. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? How do you maneuver it? And then we can, we can see where it leads. Well, I think... Um it's impossible not to in the beginning, at least. I think everything's filtered through our person. How we hear, how we see, how we taste is filtered through all the sensual input, which is personal. Sensual input has been personalized. How we look, how we, you know, all use the senses. Is it, it, It's been the gauges are turned up or down according to however we were raised and our experiences in life. So we have, let's say, a personalized filter for reality. So when we say don't take things personally, we're saying uh, take that filter away. Right. And that's a very difficult thing to ask somebody. Mm. So rather than taking that away, because I think it, it actually has a purpose and a use for us, but we can update the filter so that as things come in, I always remind myself as something's coming in, like, yes, this is my interpretation, but it doesn't mean anything about me. So I assign the meaning. That's what, to me, those words don't take something personal. Yes, I'm going to filter through that very personable, you know, system. Yeah. But I am the one then creating the meaning of it based on how I filter the information. So if I can remind myself that this doesn't mean anything about me, then again, there's like this pause. So a lot of these are asking us to pause, to like experience something, to pause. 
to tap it perhaps into something a little more deeper in our own awareness than the instant reactionary uh, part um, that is very automatic, at least it is for me, and take a moment. And when I ask myself that, and I have to every day, all throughout the day, everything means something about me. That's how I'm oriented in life, everything. The sun is rising. It's beautiful. It's like, yeah, that's for me. You know, it's like (laughs) just literally personalize everything. So I find this one also very tough at times. But when I ask myself that question and tell myself, like, this doesn't mean anything about me. So if it doesn't mean anything about me, what is it? Then it incites curiosity. Then it incites this desire to lean in and, and learn more about what's going on. And it also incites a a deeper curiosity inward and going, well, why is it that I'm choosing to interpret that in this way? Mm. So there's a very deep self-inquiry that I get invited into, which is why I can't socialize too much because it's, I choose to, uh, my social experience is very, I'm very selective because there's this process where I don't want to constantly be reacting and what I witnessed, say, in social media, it's just a bunch of people reacting all the time and creates so much unhappiness and chaos. So by limiting my social input and being very selective, say with you, Simona, hang out with you or any of you really, but when you and I hang out, there's this process where I can give myself that space. Like, okay, I doesn't have to have that meaning, what she just said or what she just did. And then I can ask, you know, a question or get more curious. So I just want to start us off with saying that. <laughs> yeah. Can I actually can I actually jump straight in there? Uh, yes, jump um, straight in. Um, while it's sort of hot, so so I did talk something about pausing and reactivity, um, and and that uh, application of meaning, and this is for me really so beautiful because application of meaning, of course, it's subjective. Um, we can have commonality and try to attain some universality on the meaning of things, but ultimately is subjective because we're looking through our own eyes, like Saida says, through our own lens of experience and our own lens of reality. But you know, like when a kid's growing and you really see a kid, it's just like, Oh my God, how fast are they growing? You know, I look at my own sons. I'm like, Whoa, geez, this is crazy. They go to sleep one night, wake up the next morning. He looks like, you know, a whole foot taller, but that's because I can compare an actual tangible thing, right? He used to fit in that trousers. He used to walk through that door. So I've got these reference points. But when it comes to perspectives, they're all intangible. They're not real measurable things. So how does someone know their perspective is changing? And this is really a a beautiful um, way of measuring, I found. And that is exactly what Insider just said there. Well, is is that actually right? Am I taking this person? Is that true? And I think that is how you know when you're changing. That's the that's the measuring stick. When the from the moment the question arises in the individual, in me, in you, anybody, hang on a minute. Is that true? Was that really meant for me? Um, am I taking this personally? From the moment we start asking ourselves these questions in a direct intervention to a situation, then we know we're growing. And, and, and that's a point I wanted to just came to me as Saida was talking because one of the hardest things people are able to measure is like, hang on, how do I know I'm not just still stuck in the same perspective? How do I know I'm not looking at things exactly the same way over and over? How do I actually know? And I think once we start to see those questions arising, then we can safely say, yeah, 
I'm changing, I'm growing, my perspectives are broadening and, and so on. So that was all I really wanted to add to, to that. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing, uh, Saida. That's awesome. Yes. And again, having some signposts for those who are like, well, how do I even get to the point where I'm not taking it personally? There are some, there is some awareness. There are some questions. There are turning points that you can actually go, oh, okay, I'm actually noticing this now. Now let's see what I can shift in that filter or perspective, like you said, and assign different meaning instead of what I might have assigned when I was 16 and thought, how dare you say I'm lying? Actually, that's about you. I'm cool. Right. Over to you, Raph. Yeah, well, interestingly, out of the four, I think this is perhaps the one that I find the easiest to do, to, to live with, to work with. I have to say I agree <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah, and, and number three as well, I, I kind of like it, but uh, although I allow, allow myself to make a lot of assumptions, but I'll do it consciously. Um, don't, yeah, think, taking things personally, and I've, I've been thinking about that recently because I coach people on quite a lot on that topic actually. So I had to reverse engineer where did that come from for me and the various tools that I've been using both consciously but also very unconsciously. So consciously there's a, a, a proverb, a proverb that came up um, to me a few years ago that I've never heard before and then I heard it and it just made a lot of sense. It was very practical which is Never attribute to malice what can be attributed to stupidity. Meaning that when someone says or does something that straight away you're thinking, why would you this, do this to me or say this to me? Don't assume that it's actually malice, that they are actually being malevolent <laughs> towards you. You can go straight, well, I'm just saying assume, and rule number three is don't make assumptions. So let's go with, don't think it's malice, but perhaps give them the choice of being not so good at what, is, what it is that they do. Because if someone is not really good at their job, it's not the same thing as them not liking you. And I think um, from a very practical point of view, um, I've been able to do this a lot from, from very young, where I would not really, you know, I would... I like. I always like people who are very, very good at what it, whatever it is they do. And by the time I notice how someone behaves, how they speak, talk about being impeccable with your word, the type of questions they ask, the type of silences they offer, um, within a few 10, 15 seconds, I'm, I'm able to, you know, I mentioned the ADD to you, so I, I guess I've got this superpower as well where my mind is constantly busy with thoughts anyhow. So by the time I hear a bit of nonsense here, I'm thinking about other things. And the truth is a lot of stuff that people might say to me or about me that just goes right here and comes straight out because my mind is busy doing better stuff. But if you don't have that, I would say think about this, you know, malice versus stupidity. Um, it's one thing. But um, the, tongue, the I'll, I'll, I'll give you another take on it, right? And I'm going to say this very confidently, and I say that because it may sound slightly uh, lacking congruence. I find it, I mean, I told you this before years ago, I find people who, th who, who take things personally all the time very pretentious. And I want to be confident in building this in our kids. I want to build that in people I work with and the students that I train and the teachers that I train. I want us to be confident, but the arrogance 
of thinking that everything that is being said or done is in relation to you. So I loved, you know, the, the insight and, and what Saida was sharing about, you know, the sun is, oh, it's about me. I love the poetic aspect and when someone can be, um, you know, um, self-assuming of that and make fun of it. But the fact that some people are unconscious, unconsciously just like that, I'll be honest with you, from time to time I lose a bit of my patience with that because it's so freaking obvious from time to time, very often I'm, I'm going to say, that when people speak a certain way to you or to the world or of the world, it's got nothing to do with you. And I'm saying that lovingly to say that very often I believe it is my bias that people choose to take things personally in order to give them a bit of sense of purpose. And that is something that I cannot comprehend because I'm kind of wired the opposite direction. Unless you say my name, I ain't going to assume you're talking about me. As simple as that. And if you do, I'm going to ask you questions. You know what I mean? But the whole thing of, he said that, so that must be in this. He didn't, eat, he didn't finish his plate. It means my cooking is finished. Like, you know, it's simple things like that. It's just like, it's just, I mean, Simon will tell you we've been together for a long time, but at the beginning of our relationships, I used to have real issues with that because it's like, this does not equal that. It does not. Me not finishing this plate has got nothing to do with you, your cooking. I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, I can't be yamming what I'm thinking and writing. Simple as that, for, as an example. So, anyhow, my little rant on, on the pretension how pretentious it is for people to think that things are about them. And I say that, as I said, lovingly, perhaps it may, not, it may not sound like this, but I make no apologies for it. It's a case of very often me coaching people and saying, you know, I'm an empath. You know, I feel what other people feel. And as part of me as a coach and a wannabe psychotherapist, my very patient self goes, I understand. Let's work on that. And Rafan on the other side, the impatient guy goes, or get over yourself already, you know, which I, I don't say, but I'm sharing it now to say, come on, really? That's the choice you made, you know? So I do think that this uh, agreement number two is an agreement, something to do with yourself and to do with oneself, meaning that as James Baldwin was saying, you know, we can't change people. All we can bring is awareness and, um, to, to people of certain facts give them perhaps to do something with it, and then for them to, to, to decide to actually work with those tools. And the, the idea that everything around is being felt because you're an empath or because you're so sympathetic to the causes of so on. So I think those good intention, you know, the missionary aspect and what uh, the social justice warriors that um, Saida was talking about, full of good intentions, totally missing the subtleties and context and the realities of life and the, and the human psychology involved in us, totally bypassing all of that in order to bring about good intention of, huh, he said this and I'm offended for them. Like, why would you take this person? What has that got to do with you? You know what I mean? It's like, I find it... <laughs> Excuse me to go on about this little rant, but I find this pretentious in a, in a sense that I'll give you an example. This might be, um, it is what it is. The amount of people who speak on behalf of black men who are not black men is exactly that. And Kevin might 
you know, say something else or may add to that or say nothing. But the idea, I've been in my life corrected about speaking about other black men, brothers, and my, sometimes my brothers, by people who are not black men, who literally took it personally. It's like, when you say that, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And in my mind, I don't want to swear too much right now, but I'm like, what makes you think this has got anything to do with you? What? How, how pretentious can you be? Now, if you want to point out that if my language is negative, it may bring about certain negative energy, blah, blah, blah. That's one thing. But for you to try to regulate things in relation to how you feel and to take things personally that's got nothing to do with you except for the fact that you are here in this room when it's been mentioned. So if that can be helpful or useful to those listening to this podcast right now, we've got to do our best to stop that. It's me listening to Simon and, and Saida talk about woman stuff and me bringing it with my big stuff and go, no, no, I think you girls should do this like that. Like, shut up, Rafan. It's got nothing to do with you. You're being, you know, you've been given a few details, a few uh, insights into how some people's mind works. Just say thank you or say nothing whatsoever. You know what I mean? Anyhow. Mm-hmm. This is where I go with don't take it personally because oh I we love it <laughs> we love it <laughs> find it's um it's an interesting one because I would say it's one that I I don't I I think it's one of my stronger ones of the four um at, over time of growing and learning and I think very much embedded by some of the practices that um my mom or our mom have passed on to us and that is. Anytime someone says something to you that affects you, the first step is to ask, what is it in me that that touched? What that does first and foremost is it separates you from them. So you're already actually saying it's not about them. Because if I say, if if I'm in the room and I say something to you, Saida, and I say the exact same thing to Calvin, your response is because you have, as you said, that personal filter, that person, the things that you grew up with and everything, you might take it completely differently with the same exact words. So often she would say, well, often when you do feel something, you feel offended, you feel hurt, you feel bothered, whatever the word that might come up is that it's touched something. And she would often describe it as think about having a a wound. If you were cut in the past and the wound hasn't fully healed, but it's, you know, it's just, it's almost there. You can't really notice it anymore because you've done the work to heal it. You don't notice the wound anymore until someone comes and brushes past your arm and touches it. And then you go, ow, you think, oh, I didn't even remember that was there. What I like about that often is you then have an opportunity to take responsibility for what's yours and also then leave what isn't yours somewhere else. So for me, taking things personally, anytime I take things personally, I come to myself with the questions. I I actually don't think much about the other and say, why did you or what did you mean? I don't even go into questioning yet, except for myself and say, well, what is it that was said that touched me or made me feel this way so that I can work out what the wound and I'm not talking about anything massive and traumatic it just might be something that was said and stored in my unconscious that's coming up now because someone has said something that triggered it you know Um, and so taking things personally for me um, 
I, I think it's very often a practice of what is it that is touched here first and foremost, and then I can address. And by address, I mean, if I take it personally, I am choosing to take it personally, as opposed to it's the truth. I am choosing, assigning meaning to it, like you said, and and the application of meaning to it, because I have a choice in that moment to go, this is not about me. And I I agree with Raf on a lot of the fronts um, that he said. I will address one that I'm not sure I agree with, but I'll talk about that in a sec. But what I would say is, in terms of, um, you know, I say this to people often, not everything is about you. And you have to choose what you make about you but that's you choosing it you know and then also as you spoke about the um the malice and stupidity then there is also that well this is not what this person this is they don't they really don't know what they're talking about they're not coming from a place of of um i will go say intelligence on this topic so it's okay i i don't have to be the one to educate them but sometimes i will and I'll do that as well as I can, being impeccable with my word of my space and knowledge of, of a topic or conversation. Um, but I like that we are all on this um, understanding somewhat of it's not about you. It is ultimately it's all about the meaning that you assign to it. Um, so what I wanted to mention was just the empath, because I think that's also I know you generalized there, but it's also then a filter or choice in that moment, because the empathic behavior of feeling something that someone else is experiencing can be something powerful and positive if used well. It doesn't always become, uh, oh, I'm feeling this. This is what they're feeling. I'm feeling it and I'm taking it on. They have a choice to take it on or not. And I know for sure in the healing world. There are a lot of empaths who do well with that skill of noticing and sensing and feeling what the other person is feeling in the moment without making it about them. So I just wanted to say that because I know you were generalizing and I get that. But I personally think that there is something positive. And again, it still comes down to the choice that you make in the moment of what you assign to be yours. You know, what you assign to be to be true and, and, and for you and then the truth. So I think that's a really important... Um... Before you move on, can I just jump in on this? Just one more thing I want to add uh, since, the discussions, okay. since the discussions rolled on a bit. You mentioned just now ownership. Or sorry, you mentioned uh, yours and it infers or implies ownership. And I think this is, this is fundamentally what it comes down to. Fundamentally, this idea of ownership is so closely linked to identity right and then so we've got this personal constructed identity and then you know and and then uh in Raf's example with some other people talking about the experience of a black man or or as Raf said talking about the experience of women in the conversation then there is a sort of collective identity because of this container that we call agreements um, of shared experience okay so there's these assumptions <laughs> i know we're going on to assumptions but these assumptions being made that you get it because we have a shared experience therefore we've now sort of created a super identity so it might be one given day we might be all arsenal football fans and then all of a sudden we get it we understand each other <laughs> nobody can say anything about us you say anything about aguna i'm going to be pissed off right and so are you because we've created this shared identity but this is constructed this is a constructed <laughs> identity 
And yeah. this is the fundamental realization. So if we can create a shared identity of a collective that is actually constructed, then perhaps we can also create a personal identity that is actually constructed. And, and once that becomes a, a realization or even a thought to ponder that, am I who I really think I am? This person who I call me, is that really me? And what, is, what does that all mean in my place in the world? Then that completely changes uh, the perception of all of these interactions. And, and of course, uh, you know, uh, Raf mentioned awareness as well. You know, that's the old adage in, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. You know, as soon as there's a little bit degree more sight, then, you know, there is this kind of uh, greater perspective over certain territories. But of course, you can have two eyes. Of course, we can be in a helicopter. We could be on the top floor of the shard. And so that journey of awareness continues to grow. Mm. And and so I think there's a degree of, um, you know, as Ralph rightly pointed out, you know, bringing that degree of patience with people because at one stage we were also blind, you know, and then there's that degree of questioning, well, who is this identity? Is is who I think I am really me? This whole collective mm. identity. Then we won't be so hungry to grab ownership of everything that happens. Yeah. And that makes it a little bit easier to deal with, I think. Yeah, and I think that um, in this book, he speaks a lot about this whole reality that we live in being a, con a construct anyway. So these these agreements can be, if you like, seen as filters of not seeing it in that way or coming away and breaking down those walls, which I really like. Mm -hmm. You both wanted to jump in. Who's first? Do you want to say something, Saida? Mine's very short. Um, it, this entire conversation so far around this particular agreement, I'm not taking something personal, uh, for me is an invitation of individuation. So as a child, everything is personal to you. Your whole world, if something happens between your parents, you think it's your fault. If you know whatever, it, that's how we begin. We're very, very much connected to that. Everything's about me and I affect everything. And, and that's how it is as a child. And I think we do need to mature and individuate and, and grow up. And so I sense that this particular one is a deeper invitation into that individuation, into, as Calvin was saying, like, is this really me? And who am I without that story is a really fabulous question. Mm. Yeah, a lot of food for thought. Beautiful. Did you want to say something again, Raph? I think I saw you were about to. And it's okay. I can say it when you start speaking about assumptions because I think it's jumped to that. Okay, the next one. Well, yeah, let's move on to number three. Don't assumptions. Oh. I, love, I love assumptions. <laughs> yeah, I do. And the reason because um, why I love assumptions is because I actually love being proved wrong. So I think... Um, I mean, I, I read The Four Agreements, and it's a book I, I like, so I, I know what uh, Ruiz is, is referring to in relation to that, which is, practically speaking, don't make assumptions, ask questions. Uh, people are not mind readers, and no matter how much, how close or how much you love someone, it doesn't mean they're not going to know uh, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and what you're after. Mm. Basic premise. Um, but having said that, Anytime I meet someone, I make an assumption as to what's going on with them physically. The training that I've received in terms of body reading um, allows me to go, yeah, right knee is an issue right there. The left shoulder is compensating. The hip is slightly tilted because of that. 
pom, 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 pom. And w- for me, within the context of a yoga class, say, then I, I can be either proved right or proved wrong. I always somehow follow this up with a question, either directly, how are you doing? What's going on with you? As opposed to say, what's up with your knee? You know, I leave it, I leave it open. <laughs> and also my questions come in the form of what I offer them to do physically because within that you have the questions pardon me for them to answer with their mobility or like thereof. So the answers are being are being um, um given there as well. But as I said, yeah, I like uh, making assumptions because I am I am good at not getting attached to them. And I think that's that's where I balance it. Mm. If you make assumptions mm. and you somehow you have a fixed mindset as to uh, I, I'm assuming this and this is where I'm going to go. No, I'm I'm fairly flexible about a lot of things, but and that's why I, I allow myself to make assumptions about certain things because I'm totally open to being proven wrong. I love that. Love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. I think. Um, Raf, you're really hitting at least a, a tender spot in my heart. And it's, I love curiosity. I love being curious and I like really love curious people. And I think it's supremely daring to lean in and ask a question, even how are you and really listen instead of assuming how someone is. And I, I, the thing that you just said, it's, it just rings like a bell. It's like ding. And it's the part of, we can make assumptions and we do all the time, but are we fixed on it or not? Is the thing that you assume the hard truth and no matter, so you don't ask questions. And if a person goes, actually, that's totally not what's going on for me. And you're like, yes, it is. (laughs) I know. You don't know. That is incredibly rude, first of all. Uh, And secondly, it's... um, it's isolating. If, if we live in a world where we want to be more connected and we assume we know everything and that our way, our perception is the only correct way, it, it creates this very isolated place and there's no freshness coming in and we can't learn and grow and discover new things. So I'll just share a very quick story. I love to work with the Zulu. Now, the Zulu grew up in the past with lions. And so when they meet you, They never look you in the eye. And where I come from, we really look in the eye. And eye contact means I see you, I trust you, I want to connect with you. For the Zulu, they never look you in the eye. And for me, if you don't do that, it means you're not trustable. What are you hiding? What's going on with you? So I had the wherewithal to finally ask after years, like, could you tell me why you never look me in the eye? And they're like, well, it's rude. I'm showing you respect. We, you know, in our culture, it's respect. And then I started learning, if you look a lion in the eye, it means you want to fight them. You aggress them. And so now we have these two very different cultures learning because that they got to learn that when I'm doing this, I'm not aggressing them. I'm showing respect. So they started to look a little bit more in my eyes and I started to look a little less. And then there was this beautiful uh, friendship that blossomed. And so I think that's, the beauty of, yes, we're going to make assumptions. And if, as Raf said, we can be softer about those assumptions and be more curious as well as having the assumption, being willing to be wrong, uh, I think it's a, just a beautiful bridge for uh, creating a much more colorful experience of life. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful story as well. 
really lovely story yeah thank mm. you yeah the, the only thing i would add to that uh, i don't think i need to add a huge amount to be honest um is that it reminds me of um the, one of the core mindful attitudes of non-judging and i think one of the things that's um often misunderstood in non-judging is that which i think has already been teased out in this conversation sufficiently is that people assume you stop yourself from judging um and they're like how can you stop yourself from judging so i think if if we say that they're similar non-judging and not making assumptions um for all intents and purposes they're they're the same it's not that you will stop judging it's not that i'm gonna look at a couple down the street and see some funny interaction in the shadow and start making an assumption of what's happening or making a judgment on I think is happening, which will be, as we know, conditioned by our culture, as Saida says, and what we think we know. But it's to be aware that we have the potential or the propensity to judge and assume, which then allows us to do the same thing, which is to ask the question, am I right? And then Rafa's has already highlighted about, you know, w- open to being proven that I'm not right. And, and so that's really the degree of awareness we're talking about here. You can't close the door completely on assumptions, on biases, on judging, but we can be aware of the human propensity to do that and then ask the question, am I right? Is this true? And mm-hmm. once those questions are asked, then we're already again, that's the measuring stick coming back. We're already in a better place. That's all I, I really want to add because <laughs> it's very clear here that, you know, I don't think you can stop 100% cleanly judging unless, you, you know, unless you're a vegetable or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's been said many times that um, the vast majority of the dramas of the drama in the world is really down to poor communication between human beings. And, and I do think that as much as we, we are not talking of this one, as much as we talked about agreement number two, the truth is not making assumption is a massive, massive tool. Um, and obviously following, following this up with practical exercises such as ask better questions, ask questions and then ask better questions. Um, it's a massive tool to, to enable us human beings to get along with each other a lot better. And as a beautiful example of, of what Saida was talking about, the assumption or the conditioning that you have received and that makes you feel a certain way when something happens a simple question can actually clear it mm. and give you a, an array of understanding that you never thought was would be possible. Um, and that comes with listening skills, mm. you know, questioning skills, mm. such as the ability to ask and listen to hear as opposed to listen to reply, those things. Yeah. You know? So it's a, it's a big one in relation to, especially with, with what's going on in the world right now, where all of us are speaking on top of each other, full of assumptions, mm-hmm. and some of those some of those assumptions are right, are right, yes. Um, but we gotta appreciate the context and where um, where it's coming from that those assumptions are right, because what's right in one place in one context can be very very wrong somewhere else. So not assuming that when you got it right one time. You get it right get every it right. time and you got it yeah. you get it right everywhere. That yeah. that mobility. Right. 
I also absolutely loved your your take on this, Raph. It's, um, I think it's really the way we've all kind of summed this one up is really interesting. And I think when it comes to assumptions as well, also remembering not to assume that people know what you're thinking or what you're experiencing so that we are in that manner of communication, as you're referring to, able to say, this is what I need. This is what I desire. This is what I wish for myself in this moment. Doesn't mean it will be that it has to be linked to an expectation of getting or receiving it, but voicing it because often we we go into things assuming people understand and when they don't behave or respond in a way that comes into alignment with that assumption, which, you know, again, is a bit linked to an expectation of being understood. I think that that for communication, that's really important as well. Just being able to go, not just not making assumptions of other people, but then also not having people's, what people might assume that you think, oh, they understand what I, they know what I want. You know what I want. And these things are also trained. I mean, we've been together a long time. I can safely make assumptions around certain things in our relationship because you know now. We've had enough experiences for you to know that if this is what's happening, this is what I might be feeling, you know. And if it's not, if it's not um, reflected, then I know to speak up. If it is reflected, which it often is, then it's because we've we've worked out a lot of those. I'm I'm okay to be wrong about this, but actually, I've Simone has shown me over time that I'm making the right assumption here, or the other way around. And I think that communication piece is is really key, as you say, so that we don't. Um, so that we do address, I guess, some of what that that really the context of what he's referring to about this. It is that um, relationing and and communication and t- not taking what someone else says and um, at face value and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I really love the way you framed that so beautifully at the start. I think that is going to hopefully for everyone listening really invite a new way of looking at it and maybe having a different approach to making assumptions. Making assumptions. Right, we're moving on to number four. Always do your best. <laughs> the best one, obviously. <laughs> Always do your best. For me, this one brings up compassion because I'm not always well-resourced or the people in my life are not always well-resourced. Um, maybe something has happened that I'm not privy to for someone and or same with me, they're not privy to, maybe I had horrible news, someone in my family just died, so there's a, a prickliness to me or a sadness. So doing my best, it reminds me of, of compassion, compassion for myself, being honest, like where am I at, how resourced am I, how well slept, um, have I made time to really sit with myself or have I, am I really stretched very, very thin it's going to be a, a really different experience. I've had near-death experiences in my life where I was bedridden. I couldn't do anything. Doing my best in those scenarios where you're hurting and you get really cranky and you say things you don't mean sometimes from those situations, you have to have a lot of compassion and understanding. Um, so I, I kind of give the benefit of the doubt with people in my life that they're just doing the best with what they know. And if it's not landing properly in my world, then it's an opportunity for me to get curious and just see, like, what is it that they would need that would make it even better? And so it, it invites more conversation. So I'm just thinking of my parents and, you know, what some recent conversations and they were under-resourced and 
they were very judgmental. And I was like, you know what, let me just ask a question. And they were super stressed with something in their life. And so they were very snappy and they didn't mean it. But because I was assuming they're doing their best, but something's up because they normally wouldn't be like this, it created a lot more. So it's related to the other ones, but I'd also think it just creates compassion because we're not always going to have all the energy and insight and courage and daring and capacity to be honest and to not take things personally and like all this stuff. Like we're just going to be shitty and messy and (laughs) confused and (laughs) judgmental and project all our crap. And that's how we're going to be some days. And that's how other people are some days as well. So on a Friday night. (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, it brings up, the beauty of the human messiness. It's messy to be human. So yeah. mm. can can I just can I just ask what doing your best means to us in this? Um for me doing your best elicits different responses. So I'm I'm only asking because if we were to place it like for example, Raf and I would have conversations sometimes about guys like you know, who hold their breath and um, have the the free deep free diving records and people who do extraordinary things, who, who I guess, push the, the barriers of mankind and um, break into new paradigms of potential. Then, you know, if they're showing us, and I'm just using this as an example, but if they're showing us that the human is capable of so much more, and then I'm not achieving that. Am I doing my best? Or is it that how do I know when I'm doing my best? And what is doing my best actually, you know, how do I know that? Um, so I was thinking about that as you were speaking. And for me, you know, I think there's what's in your control, what's out of your control. That's one element. So uh, the bits are not out of your control. If I'm in a tizzy um, because something's happened or an outcome is come about uh, that I didn't want, and a lot of those elements aren't in my control anyway, then that wouldn't really be a fair appraisal of whether I've done my best. But if I, of only of the things that I'm in control, if I've really asked myself the question, because I think that's the only way I personally can measure have I done my best. If I, after the fact, sit down and say, have I done my best? And there's an embodied feeling that tells me whether I've done my best or not. And for me, that's the only way I actually know. Um, because I can't say, right, yeah, I had, you know, you know, 80,000 kilojoules of energy and I only used 50,000. So therefore, <laughs> I didn't do my best. Or, you know, I held my breath last time for 10 minutes. And I only did it for eight minutes this time. Well, maybe that eight minutes was only my lung capacity on that day, you know. So how do I really know what my best is in any given situation? Mm. So I think for me, my, my own way of assessing, well, have I done my best is I rely on the feeling. After having asked the question in appraisal, discounting those elements outside of my control, have I done my best? And then that feeling, that embodied feeling that I get as a result will tell me whether that's true or not. But I just thought I'd throw that question out as to what the yes. best might mean to you because I know there, there's so many different contextual applications. Um, but that's sort of like where I feel about it, you know? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. Uh, for me, this is very likely the... Uh, the, the agreement that I find the artist 
to be consistent with. Because I tend to be a, a or I tend to be, let me reframe that. I've, I've for the vast majority of my life, I've been a first draft guy. I would give my first draft because I would procrastinate up until the very last moment, write whatever, produce whatever, and just give that out, which will never ever be my best because a first draft rarely ever is. Um, but once you keep repeating that, it becomes a habit. Um, and for that reason, I'm saying always do your best is not something that I am. It's something that I am working on to actually uh, enable myself to provide better sensations and feelings, as, as Kevin was pointing out, once I've, I've delivered something and be happy with it. Um, so I'm, I'm coming closer to that, but I'll admit that for the vast majority of my life, as I said, it's always been a case of, you know, I do the bare minimum and then I, I've already moved on to something else where I'm going to do the bare minimum there and then, then do, you know. So to me, always do your best to answer your question is in relation to commitment. And I love that compassion came into it because I had those two words into it. Compassion towards oneself and others, understanding that, you, as you both said, what is the best today is not going to be the same best as yesterday. And being mature enough to understand that elements, parameters are going to come into play and your time and your speed and everything else that you rate your performance mm. on are simply not going to be the same every day, yet you can still do your best your best on a daily basis. But the other one is, um, as I said, commitment. And actually committing to something and really fully committing to something. And that is, I say that with loads of question mark because I am I am the non-committal person here. I, I could blame ADHD for this, but it's just that's just the way I roll. <laughs> and um, this morning only I was watching a video um, by Jordan Peterson uh, who was given a lecture on the title I think was there are certain things in life you can only play if you're fully committed to it certain games you can only play if you're fully in it and and that I find very interesting especially getting older and everything you start looking at really what matters and where's the quality to be found as opposed to the quantity and what does it mean to be fully in? And the cost and the sacrifices and, and the doubts and the uncertainties that come with it. And, and yet the growth that can be um, 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 offered to you if you were to really stick with whatever um, decision you're making. So, um, yeah, long story short, always doing your best is something that I find challenging because to me it is in relation to commitment. I really love that. Yeah. I don't, but yeah. <laughs> no, but I love what you're saying about it. I, I don't love that it's a challenge for you, but I do love what you're saying about it. And uh, so, Simone, I just want to add one last little thing is yeah. one thing I do as a practical is uh, I like to lay in my bed at night just before I fall asleep and I just do a very quick scan of the day. And I always can tell the blips because there's a little emotional charge somewhere. Some days it's fine. Some days there's a little like beep. And wherever that is, I pause. I'm like, okay, what, what could I have done better? And that's where this question comes in. Always do your best because then there's, I'm like, okay, well, there was an opportunity. If I'd given the opportunity again, how would I do it even better? 
And then I kind of review it in my head. I'm like, well, actually, I would have been more honest about my needs or I would whatever. And so that little review brings a lot of peace in my being and the blip then dissolves. Um, and then inevitably an opportunity will come up at some point because we are patterned creatures. And I have a new opportunity to do better, but I've already rehearsed it. So it's a little bit like that for me, this question as well. It's um, mm. it's a growth process. I'm always evolving. I'm always blossoming. I'm curious. And it's I like the word excellence versus perfection. I, I think perfection is a curse. But mm. excellence, striving for that, um, the ultimate place that I could give my deepest genius, whether it's relationally or in work or in body movement, whatever, to really lean in and go, how much of life can I bite into in this moment that I'm willing to give myself to thoroughly in this moment? And I love what Raphael said because Rafan said, because if if you don't have commitment and dedication, you're wishy-washy. The second something becomes hard or challenging, you're out. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a very fundamental uh, part of of showing up fully fully engage with all that you are is making the choice to show up fully uh, without that choice. I think it's a little harder. So those two things, the, the self review and then the renewed dedication in the morning, like what kind of day am I going to have? I always ask myself that I wake up and like, what kind of day am I going to have? And that sets my rudder for the day. So well, a little thought on that. And I, I relate a lot to it. I think I had to learn to be, I mean, I, when I, I wrote my book, Coaching for Performance Excellence, it was in 2012. And part of that for me was coming away from perfect and perfection, because I, I think I had the tendency to be a perfectionist, which I don't think is good. And I worked for a year with um, a particular quote, and I did this in my work. And I actually found that I got my best work, which was good enough is the new perfect. And most of my best work came because I didn't keep going over the same thing over and over again for something that wasn't really achievable in the first place. But practically speaking, there are two things, both what you said, Calvin, about a feeling. There is there is a sense and a feeling of maybe fulfillment or satisfaction when I ask the question about how well did you do in this moment? And I can sense where I, there's a, there is something definitely kinesthetically that I can feel like, mm, and then I can dig deeper and ask questions. But like you, Saida, and I... I use um, Brendan Burchard's High Performance Planner. And in that, he does the beginning of the day setting up and then the end of day reflection. And there's one question that I love at the beginning of the day. And because the other one is very much similar to you, that span of what worked, what didn't work and so on. But is what might trip me up today and how would my best self deal with it? Mm. And I love this because for me, you're setting yourself up for connecting with your higher self, your best self, what would your best self do? And I'll give you a very practical example of this. I remember, I don't know how long ago it was, I had to take um, the car for an MOT. And I thought, okay, the car, this it costs 50 pounds to have your car MOT. And I thought right now, I don't want to spend a lot of money on the car because I just have so many other things I want to put my money into. So that might trip me up if they give me a phone call and say, oh, it's a grand, you know, and you have to pay these things, your car costs. So what would my best self um, do 
if that was the case. And I and I remembered that very distinctly because it did, it did reframe it before it happened was I said, well, the car serves me. It serves my family. It takes me all across the country to take one to football, the other one back then to swimming to get to do the things that I want to do. How can I not respect this vehicle and actually treat it with the respect that it deserves? And if it deserves 500 pounds or whatever it was, I'll have to pay it and I'll be okay because it will serve me longer. That was a very practical just going through that. And sure enough, the call came and it was like five or 600 pounds. And all I could do in that moment was laugh and go into gratitude, fork out the card, pay it and go, I'm so grateful for you, car, which is still serving me now. But you get the idea. It's setting yourself up for what would your best self do when these things occur. And that then means that when you are when certain things are happening, like the environment of I'm not well or you know, whatever things are getting in your way, things that you may or may not have control over, what would your best self do in that moment? To me is a great question because there's always an answer. And the answer obviously with you asking in a, in a positively framed way is gonna bring something that is um, solution-based rather than leading down the rabbit hole of, oh, poor me and you know all the things that can happen. So I think it's twofold for me that asking quality questions and um, and positive framed questions in the morning, reflecting in the evening, but also that kinesthetic sense of, Sim, did you really do your best with this one? And I know the answer. It's it's instinctive. I know I haven't done my best with something. And then I can go curious and say, how can you do it better? Mm. So I, I really like that uh, that movement around practical and then instinctive and intuition intuitive and stuff like that mm. Mm. and so, hey brendan we love your book <laughs> i love your book <laughs> so what's what's the fifth agreement so the fifth which actually um lovely saida only sent to me um, yesterday or the day before um which i think is amazing and i haven't delved into it enough is be skeptical but learn to listen yeah I think that one was just designed for Raf, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe we can just touch briefly on this one um, before we yeah. wrap up. Be skeptical, but learn to listen. What are your thoughts on that fifth agreement? For me, it's just a way of being curious. It's like, don't take everything that's being said as truth. You know, so, so definitely like question things. But don't just question and write it off. Question and lean in and be willing to be made wrong or to learn something or to grow. Um, and I think right now in the climate we have on the planet, there's not enough healthy skepticism, but there's also not enough healthy leaning in and being willing to learn something. So uh, maybe this is why he's come up with this fifth one recently or just started to publicize it more uh, in hopes that we all have more constructive, critical thinking about situations and difficulties that we're facing personally and as humanity and being willing to work together toward a creative solution. So that's what that means for me. Beautiful. Short and sweet. Love it. Tell? Should I go then? Um, is that actually one of our questions or is that an actual agreement that's been added that's been added recently that's that's interesting uh for me yeah that just echoes um that question i talked about earlier about how do we know when we're our perspectives are changing 
And the, it's, it's a similar way of, of asking, well, is it true? You know, is that really true? Whether it's taking anything personally, I mean, it's applicable to universally, universally applicable. So is it true? And if we're asking ourselves that question earnestly, is this genuine um, arising of, well, is that really true? Then we are already in a space of preparedness for listening. Because from the moment you ask the question, then, of course, you're waiting for an answer. Um, so the ability to just hold firm and sit in the silence after that question arises, then is it true? Then we should expect to um, to get an answer. And if we keep asking that question, then we keep getting uh, an answer until we get to a place of homeostasis, I suppose. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that's a very good one and it's a really simple one to swallow um, because it's again we just arrive at that place as a as a result of growth and you know when those questions arise then we can say yeah i'm growing yeah yeah love that yeah be skeptical but learn to listen your thoughts Raph? yeah I, I was going to say i don't have much to say on it and and then all of a sudden i have a lot of stuff <laughs> But I think that um, this speaks to me of parameters and criteria. L learn for yourself or build yourself a, a list of parameters that you're going to use in order to rate things and to rate people. And truth is, is being spoken about a lot and to an extent, I like it, but, uh, you know, truth is so malleable that um, the truth that people speak of with a capital T is not something that really impressed me, whether something is true or not, um, because it's not about truth as far as I'm concerned. But having for oneself, um, the term is going to come back to me, having for oneself um, the ability to, to rate something and what, what do you base those ratings on I think is is where it's at, um, and yes, this is going to make one skeptical, but it's going to force one to ask questions one way or another. And if not ask questions, it's going to force one, I believe, to listen more closely, right? So that when someone says something, you listen closely to what they're saying, how they're saying it, in what context they're saying it, who and what they're what they're cultivating, and and who they are truly serving. That has been skeptical. And, it's, um, and whilst skepticism has been given a, a negative connotation, I don't agree with that. I, I like that a lot. Mm. Like, you know, I, I want to be proved wrong, but also I, I don't mind being proven right. Like, you know, I, like, let, let me just check that out a bit deeper. You know, um, give my time a little more and not be so, um, what's the term when you're easily manu uh, manipulated? Um, hmm? I said gullible. Gullible, you know, <laughs> gullible. No, but it's true. Look, <laughs> the last conversation my dad, your dad and, and I had was about um, the expression bread and circuses because that's all we as human beings need entertainment and food. 
So you give us the Kardashian, and on the back of that, you get Trump. And it's the case of, yeah, yeah, we've given you entertainment. We've given you low class, no content to it whatsoever. Um, no intellect, no growth, just pure nonsense. We amused you, and on the back of that, we passed we passed le legislations that are going to affect you, your life, your ab the ability of your daughter and your wife to have an, ab an abortion if and when they want one, things like that. And um, that, to me, is, is where it's been skeptical. It doesn't mean don't be entertained by nonsense. I allow, I allow myself that, and I totally appreciate, just as we talked about early on, I think the mobility to say, yeah, I know this TV is rubbish, but it's entertaining as fuck, you know, so I'm going to watch it. Fair enough, but not turn your whole life around it and saying, you know, tell me whatever and I'll take it because what you said I relate to, you just touched my heart or, you know, you found a way to somehow tap into my, my feelings and my emotions and, you know, yes, and very often it's fear. You've managed to tap into my fear, so I'm going to vote for you and I'm going to make sure that these people have been taken care of, blah, blah, blah. So I think that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm liking this very practical fifth agreement of mm. be a bit more demanding, um, basically. Um, like people listening to us right now, it's like go and check all of our websites. Who are they to speak of, of, of that this way? Why is this lady called Dr. Saida? What, is she, what type of doctor is she? She's oh. talking to me about psychology. What, what is that? Go and check out our website. Do a bit of homework. It's going to take you five minutes. Listen to our TED Talk. Like, you know, I mean, I have a better understanding of context. Where is this lady coming from? You've heard her mention she's, got, she's had a couple of life-threatening um, moments where she came close to dying. Go and dig into that because you'll notice that people who've went through stuff like that have a different quality of attention to life as opposed to say, oh, she's talking nonsense or this guy is talking and he's telling me to be humble, but he sounds very arrogant. Yeah, where did I build that from? Mm. You know, I mean, what is the cost attached to that? What do I do on a daily basis to be able to speak from that place? You know what I mean? Um, and I think that being skeptical, and I, I want my students, the people that I work with, to be like the way I speak to my kids, and, you know, Simon will tell you, I want them to say no. I'm going to do this instead. I want them to stand up to me. Now, there are ways to do that, but they've got to find their own way, their own balance, and that's being skeptical. Don't do anything I say because I'm your dad. Go in there and be skeptical. Be curious. Ask. Confront. Dis disagree. Go against. You know what I mean? As opposed to take everything for at face value because I think the very first thing we talked about was being impeccable with words. I do think, lastly, but this agreement is about ethics. Because if you build parameters and criteria and you realize what you're capable, that perhaps others are not capable in terms of asking good questions, listening well, you then know and understand that you can manipulate others. Here comes ethics into play. I can do it, but it's not a reason why I should. And being skeptical learning to listen is, I believe, one way to become more ethical. Beautiful. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you for sharing. That, that's awesome. I have to say I do not take for granted the fact that you are my nearest and dearest 
you know, you, I, I'm very grateful for your presence always and for you coming together and forking out your time, your precious time to sit with me and just converse the way we love to and to be able to share this because I really believe that and I, and let's say I hope that this is really going to um, really touch something in those who are listening. I'm obviously making the assumption that people will be listening, but I'm okay if it's not the truth. I'm okay with that being wrong. We, we've had a great conversation nonetheless. Um, but all of that to say, in all seriousness, thank you so much for your time and for your presence and for your sharing and just continuing to, to do your bit in you know making whatever changes, differences or not in the world because it's needed. And I really, really appreciate you all, all three of you. So thank you your time your love thank you for loving love. signing off on our thoughts on the four agreements thank you so much see you guys soon again take it easy thanks so much for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed this episode please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you are.